right big city, yeah. That's Kansas, that's the Chris Butler expression. You want to try that? Is it stupid? Go ahead. I'm going to do it. Are you, are you ready? Big city, yeah. Kansas City. How you feeling? Welcome to the first podcast from Center Cuts, the Center Cuts podcast. We're here in the home of our producer, Chris Mowry. Thrilled to be working with him on this project. And as the start of a series, my business partner and I, Jim Andrews, thought that rather than have an outside guest come today, we would go ahead and sort of interview ourselves. So bear with us. We've got a lot to talk about today. And in general, our programs are going to focus on a couple of different topics. We want to talk about some current events, what's happening in Kansas City, talk a little bit about our guest life, what they're doing in the music community specifically, what are some things they enjoy about Kansas City, what are some things they think we do very well, as well as what are some things we can do as a community to improve and build upon the industry that we have here. Talking about current events is a little unusual right now as the fact that we're still in COVID. We are all masked up, by the way practicing social distancing, but I'm going to bring Jim in here and we'll talk a little bit about what's on our radar in the next couple of weeks. Today is August 6th. What's what's on your menu this weekend, Mr. Andrews? Well, first of all, I'd just like to say uh, I'm glad we set the bar so high in our first guest um, <laughs> for this fine podcast. And this will probably be the, the first and only uh, podcast I'll ever be on, but uh, it's good to be here, Pat. Collectors, Collectors Edition. Yes, so I hear you. One. We were just talking a little bit about the return, potentially, of some live music here in Kansas City. I yes. know that uh, Knuckleheads has been doing some events. Uh, Lemonade Park. Lemonade Park's got a bunch of things happening this weekend. Chris was just talking about a stellar bill, actually. We've got the Blacklight Animals on Friday, Rex Hobart on Saturday. Following weekend, I believe we've got Emmeline Twist on Saturday. I'm moving backwards now. I'm kind of blind on the calendar. Freedom Affair, I know, is going to be in the house. Center and Cut, some shameless promotion some here. Some of our artists, yeah. We actually are thrilled to be doing an album release show with the Black Creatures and Kadesh Flow Friday, August 28th. And then the following evening, we'll have the Black Creatures back in the house with Calvin Arsenia. Yeah. Talked about the ship again. Looks is to be starting some things tomorrow night with Rex Hobart. Mm-hmm. I thought they pointed out very well that we're all learning through this process, and we want to try to see a return to live music. So let's all be smart and make good choices and help these venues mm-hmm. that are trying to get some things off the ground. Yeah, and wear your mask. Absolutely. So. Uh, other current things happening. I just received a copy of Seasons to Risk, new pressing of vinyl. If you haven't had a chance to go pick that up, you can find that and crank it up. Nice color swirl. Mm-hmm. Anything else this week, next couple weeks on our radars? Uh, I think you pretty much covered it. I mean, there's just not a whole lot of live music happening right now, unfortunately, but it's it's certainly been worse, so it's nice to see a few things coming back. I think we'll probably have some long pregnant pauses here until the uh, greater community can get it in gear, and 
we can support these venues. Again, I would like to ask all of you, if you haven't done so already, there's a great association, NEVA, that's working very hard and diligently with our government to try to support our venues here in Kansas City, in the state, and across the country. We really need to get behind them in this time. A lot of them are doing the best they can to keep their doors open or to try to at least consider keeping their doors open here come this fall and next year. So if you haven't signed up, you can get that information very easily. Yep. And do contact do you, your local representative or senator. I've I and personally I've done it five State or six times federal. now. It's a very easy form to fill out and you just just let them know how much our artists mean to us here. back here with our first guest today, Jim Andrews. He is my business partner in Center Cut Records. We are about a three-year-old label here in Kansas City. Jim and I met back in about 1985 years. 30? I was, I was going to say 1935. <laughs> <laughs> well, that could be, uh, but no, I think 35 years ago, something like that, 80, shit. I was just trying to tell my son, you know, I think that so end of your sophomore year when everyone gets driver's licenses, that's 80, a really freeing moment. In 84, would that be? 80, exactly. It's a really freeing moment when you can get out away from your parents, you probably got a part-time job or doing something. And mm -hmm. Jim and I got to know each other at high school, Rockhurst High School. And what really brought us together was the fact probably that we neither one us really like to study. Right. Um, Other and, than beer drinking. Then. And it's a little early. Um, <laughs> and so instead of doing homework after school, we decided to spend our time in record stores around Kansas City. Yep. And we can probably get into this a little bit more in detail later about that. But I thought first we'd just start asking Jim a couple of questions about his life growing up in Kansas City, little family stuff. You don't need to give us your life story or anything you're uncomfortable with. But yeah. Well, um, I grew up in Overland Park, and uh, I have one brother who's older, and let's see. Um, Where'd you go before Rockhurst? Your public school. I went to Pembroke. Oh, you did go to Pembroke. I went to Pembroke. Okay. But I bounced around a little bit. I had some public schooling out in Overland Park. Uh, God, Osage school which is now defunct and, okay uh john deemer went there for a while that's still there i think okay and then went to pembroke and on to rockers so. now your family is from kansas city um not originally no um my father um moved here for a job he was actually the editor-in-chief of the national catholic reporter okay um and so we moved here at a very young age. I was born in South Bend, Indiana, and moved here um, 
and uh, and then my father stopped that job and created a new one for him and a new business that he wanted to create uh, which was Universal Press Syndicate a newspaper syndication business and then started that in our basement and um, I can happily say 50 years later it's still Rocking and rolling, I would Rockin say. And rolling, so. Tell tell me, can you do you know what age was that when he decided to make that transition, going from editor hmm. of the well, paper? He was probably thirty, early thirties. Okay, thirty-one, something like that. Maybe. Okay, I, unfortunately, he died at forty-four. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and my mother sort of. Uh, moved into his position and and grew the company even more got into publishing what have you and uh so it's it's been a nice little run for us still a pretty big leap of faith though at that age for sure a couple of kids i think it's always a leap of faith when you decide uh that you want to start a business you know and put all your resources into that and, and time and effort and money sure um which is you know what we're doing here well, that's what that's of course what I'm leading to. Do sure. you ever feel like his? I see the connection. Do you feel ever feel like his decision in some ways has? For me, I think a big change for me was my parents uh, moved away from Kansas City when I was getting out of college to North Carolina. It really gave me some inspiration to get out of Kansas City myself yeah. and to take that plunge. Of course, I was much younger than them, uh, and I'm sure at that time. You know, your dad wasn't thinking necessarily that was going to be a major change, but still, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that was a big risk. I definitely see the um, similarities there. I mean, especially, you know, the way that we went about it. It really reaching the age of fifty was our motivation because mm-hmm. uh, we were both, you know, in jobs that, you know, we, we liked, but we thought we wanted to do something else, sure, and uh, follow our passion, which was music, and that's what we've done um sure i pretty much have stopped working at the publishing company and doing licensing which i was doing there Mm -hmm. and now and just sort of a you know part owner type role there and doing center cut full time Mm -hmm. but that that's really the reason why we uh decided to do this i think reaching the age of 50 really kind of kicked us in the ass a little bit absolutely um you know, you you know you're not going to live forever, and you, you know, I hate to leave uh, anything behind, or so. Right, and I, this is the last one. I'll ask about your dad before we get back to you. Uh, were there some challenges as far as starting the business at that point? Ah, uh, there were uh, for sure. You know, um, but the way that they did it, <clears throat> they acquired things that weren't uh, legitimately in the newspapers at that time. They they went after things that were cutting edge, that were, um, in a lot of ways, editorial, like political cartoons and things like that. Can you give us a couple of examples? Well, oh, Doonesbury, you know. Doonesbury? Yeah, it was a very controversial time because sure. he, he was dealing with the Vietnam War, things like that. And, you know, people look at it, editors would look at it and be like, this is not a cartoon. This is a political statement, you know. Right. And... You know, at the time, my dad and John McMeal, his partner, they would, they'd be like, okay, we'll put it in the editorial page, you know, if you have to. And some of them did. That was bold. But, 
Yeah, so they, they tried to find things and push the boundaries of, of, you know, it wasn't the same old serial cartoons that you would find back in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, they were trying to really um, ruffle some feathers, get people thinking, you know, instead of, you know. Love it. Did, were you exposed to other artists at that time growing up? Did you have any of these people around you? Of course. And that, you know, that's one of the things that sort of uh, continues with our business, Pat, is the way that we uh, deal with our creators. You know, uh, I, I can remember we would have, he would bring home a cartoonist almost every other night, you know, just uh, feed him, give him some drinks and <laughs> talk about the strip or, or panel or whatever they were doing at the time. And, so we would, you know, meet these people all the time. I can imagine Gary Larson sitting down at the dinner table doodling yeah, some freaky exactly. sketch on your napkins. No, it, it's true. <laughs> and we had this pool house that, you know, a lot of times if they were from out of town, they would stay in. And, uh, and there would be, you know, late nights and all kinds of things. It was it was a lot of interesting things growing up hmm. with, uh, okay. with that whole crew. but. All right, so let's let's go back to high school. We both graduated, unbelievably. You want to just pick up your story there? What'd you do next? Well, I went off to school. Um, I went to about about the only school that would let me in. <laughs> I'm with you. I was there. Uh, Spring Hill College down in Mobile, Alabama. It's a Jesuit school. Mm-hmm. And um, I know you love those Jesuits. Jimmy Buffett went there, so that was a big draw for me <laughs> at the time. Did that close the deal? <laughs> it pretty much did. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was a good experience for me. I met a lot of good friends that I still have today. Absolutely. Uh, from all over the country and it, it sort of worked out for me in a, in a really odd way. But, um, so I did that. And what was, the, what was the distance between Spring Hill and New Orleans? <laughs> it wasn't far enough. Let me tell you. I mean, yeah, that's what I'm. Yeah. It was about a two hour drive. You know, I, I can remember. <laughs> My freshman year, uh, I had a biology exam the next day at 8 mm-hmm, a.m., mm-hmm. and I really wanted to go to the Ziggy Marley concert. So, uh, <laughs> of course, Ziggy Marley won out and just basically stayed up all night and rolled into my 8 o'clock exam, which I, which I passed, by the way. <laughs> Not sure how, but uh, I, I definitely was a little slant-eyed. I mean, I feel like, so Jim and I, when I turned 21, my father... Bought me a plane ticket, gave me enough money for a hotel room, and then gave me, I think, like $500 to buy plane tickets for a couple of friends. And Jim knew one of them very well, uh, Matthew Davis. And so we, we flew to New Orleans for my 21st birthday, and then Jim drove over from Spring Hill with a couple of his cronies. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that, that memory is just etched in my head forever. But i got to believe that that music scene, I'm especially... I'm you remember that. Huh? Oh, i got pictures. <laughs> I, I got to believe that that music scene being so close to you definitely impacted you in New Orleans. I mean, you went to Jazz Fest yeah. back in the day. Oh, yeah. What Didn't you, besides there's your Mardi formal Gras. studies, did you go to Mardi Gras while you were in school? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't do that. Besides yeah. your formal studies in school, I believe you did some work for the radio station. Uh, yeah, at our college radio station with DJ from time to time. What, yeah. what was on Jim Andrews' playlist back in '89? Oh, you know, there's probably a lot of Dead and uh, Radiators, no uh, Neville Brothers. You know, definitely a lot of a New Orleans influence there for sure. Meters. Well, Neville Brothers were really 
kind of peaking at that point almost. They were. They were. Um, Fish was probably just getting started about that time, like Lawn Boy. I mean, we're yeah. really dating ourselves now. Yeah. Okay, so we both graduated from college. I went to KU, so Jim and I had kind of parted our separate ways. We'd see each other in the summers. What about 90, about that time? Well, I went off to grad school, and I believe you went to the Peace Corps at that point. Was Not just it? yet. Where'd you go to grad school? What were you studying then? Uh, I went to Syracuse University. Boo. The Newhouse School of Boo. Public Communication. Uh-huh. Yeah, we have a good basketball team. Is that right? Yeah. Jerry McNamara? Yeah. Freaking I taught him how to hit three, <laughs> three pointers. Yeah. In my free time. So. Okay. I'm um, guessing that was about 90. Did you go straight out of school to grad no, school? No, no, no. I went to, I lived with a friend of, mutual friend of ours in Washington, D.C. for. Oh, that's right. Nine months or something like that. Then came back to Kansas City. Mm, then pretty oh, much straight Then Syracuse. Studies. Okay. So I graduated, in, I think, 92, something like that, so. And that's when we formally reconnected as far as like living in the same space in Kansas City. Yeah. Jim and I would, uh, again, start to ransack record stores. Of course, that whole time we'd kept in touch and mm-hmm. certainly see each other the summers. We definitely started to go see a lot more shows at that point because we were really drinking age. Yeah, Not we were that, legal at that point. Right. I think about some of the places. We were just having a conversation today with another artist about uh, the Grand Emporium. Yeah. I mean, that was really our home away from home. Yeah. Spent, I mean, just countless bands in there, all different genres, I think, really influenced us as far as our musical tastes. That was a home away from home for us. Davies. I don't want to say rest in peace because it's coming back. Come on, Michelle. Yeah. Uh, Harlings upstairs. Spent a lot of nights in there. Mm-hmm. Those floorboards were creaking. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of any other event. The Lone Star was rocking back then. Saw a lot of great shows there. That place that's, I call it the shadow, but it's got to be five, six different incarnations there on the corner, like America's American, Pub. And American it, Pie or whatever. Yeah, America's Pub. So we continue to go to shows, record stores. A lot of record stores. We spend hours. Trying to think when Peaches closed down. That was on the corner of 75th and Metcalf. Metcalf. I'm trying to place that corner in my directions now. I guess that'd be That the, was a good one because we had Exile literally... 100 yards from there. Yeah, so Peaches was the... I, I didn't know it. I think it's a national chain. I think there's a big one in New Orleans, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, was, it was basically almost a block. It was like a Tower Records. Or- sure. So things were more expensive. Uh, they literally had peach crates that you would load up your vinyl in. Mm-hmm. Cassettes were huge then. No CDs. Well, mm-hmm. I guess CDs, yeah. probably about 89, 90. Oh, yeah, for sure. High school, no CDs. Exile was right there next to the Lone Star. Mm-hmm. Uh that was mainly used music, cassettes, T-shirts that you couldn't find. Yeah. I think one thing that maybe we ought to let our listeners know, too, is just how much music has changed for Jim and me. I mean, back in the day, there were no print magazines besides maybe Rolling Stone, mm-hmm. which you would read from page to page and check out their charts. I mean, USA Today would have like a little... Uh, it was four times as thick as it is now. Too. Yeah, I mean, it was... That was Spin probably came out, I don't know, 88, late 80s, I would say. That was kind of the newer one. More avant-garde. MTV had really only started probably our freshman or sophomore year in high school, and it was all music back then. I remember they had something on at night, 120 minutes, which was like when you're supposed to be studying on a Sunday night, Mm -hmm. 11 o'clock, and it was all the alternative bands, you know, and there there was no such thing as alternative music back then. We call it probably new wave music. Well, we had that... That one station from Lawrence, KLZR, it would get a lot of Oh, for sure. Influence. Laser? Yeah. yeah. A lot of influence from that. 
Well, and always college radio stations. For me and Lawrence at, at KJHK, uh, that's where I heard a lot of bands for the first time. Sonic Youth, The Feelies. Yeah. I mean, we can go on and on. Um, so we had a little bit of time together then. Mm. I split in 93 for the Peace Corps. That's about when I think you moved out to L.A. I moved to California, yeah. What were you doing out there? Um, you know, just putting my television radio film master's degree to work and mm-hmm. worked for a couple of studios, um, Columbia Pictures Television and 20th Television at Fox. So You moved out there mainly for the industry? Did you know somebody yeah, out there? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, I had some contacts through uh, the company business. Um, at that time, we actually had a TV show. It was a children's show called Beekman's World. Okay. <laughs> um Beekman's World? Beekman's World, Chris yeah. is giving us a, a thumbs-up circle thing. Was a what is show. that show? Why it, do I not know that? It was well-produced. Um, what year is this? Gosh. 93? Yeah. This has got to be 93, 94, 95. Okay. Somewhere that's, around that. That's right. Area. When I was out of the country, I kind of lost culture. I ran culture. for about three years. Still in syndication, so you, you may see it from time to time. Okay. Um, what were you doing for them? I wasn't working for them at all, but we had contact. Oh, got you. So Sorry. It sort of opened some doors for me. All right. Um, Jim, uh, I lived in Kazakhstan in the former Soviet Union. That was right after the collapse. And actually, first President Bush sort of shoved America in there, wanted or unwanted. It was very difficult to get communication with the rest of the world. It would probably take, on average, I don't know, two, three weeks to get a letter. It could take two, three months for a package. They would rifle through your your boxes, eat your food, whatever, take your clothes. But... I still, I should have brought it today. I, I still have a few of the cassettes that Jim would send me. Why did I not bring that today? Just so we could see the name. I know one led off with Gator Country yeah. by Molly Hatchet. Well, they would come via Humboldt County. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> they were uh, specially sealed. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they. Uh, Addressed from George Brett. Yes, George. Five Royal Way. George uh, was a. Uh, you know my my postal man at that time, so he would he would handle all of the mailings for me. You know, you realize if things had gone south on any of those deliveries, I probably would be in a gulag right now. Yeah. It's amazing that I was able to escape uh, Kazakhstan when I could. My point is, Jim and I'd had a great relationship up until that point, and a few a handful of friends taking the time to reach out to me and continue to try to not only write and keep in touch with me to send me some killer freaking music that i was just jonesing for mm-hmm. um i gotta believe jim that really cemented our friendship at that point you know well like, you sent me ones as well and i and, and introducing me to a lot of like stuff that i i wasn't familiar with like rap and i remember you used to send me cassettes of rap and i was just like wow Right, be- this is not something that I am exposed to. Yeah, right before I left, it was a fairly quick decision to go there to join the Peace Corps. Um, I clearly remember going to, I think, Jimmy, you were staying with your brother. Mm. And I spent an evening over there, probably five or six hours ransacking your CD collection and making some mixed tapes for myself. Mm-hmm. All sorts of stuff, again, that I probably wouldn't have been exposed to. I think of like Divinals. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. And... When I actually left for the Peace Corps, we were allowed, I think it was 40 kilos, 44 kilos total, which is roughly like 100 pounds. One suitcase that I took was entirely cassettes. 
I had like mm. 250 cassettes in one bag. No sh- The other bag was a couple pairs of underwear and whatnot. <laughs> and I just so happened that two other volunteers, there were only 50 of us, basically did the same thing. Mm. And so for the next couple of years, we, we the first thing we bought was a dual cassette deck so we could burn. Sorry, copyright, full, full disclosure here. <laughs> yeah. I broke the law. Yeah. We would trade cassettes, and then I would then take some of that music and send it back to you. Okay. Some of my, a couple of other friends that were keeping in touch with me that way. We'll have to bring those in for your next appearance. Yeah. So, okay, now you're out of California, and you decided to make the move back to Kansas City. Back to the big city. Back to the big city. That is. That's correct. Yeah. What was that all about? Well, just felt like it was time to... uh, uh, come back and I, I wanted to get involved in the family business and uh, that's what I did were you uh, can I ask were you pressured to do that or? no not at all um, but you know we just we we had a, a certain you know untold rule that all kids on the McMeal side and Andrew side had to go and do something else before they could come back hmm. to join the business if they wanted to I know. see and so you would take that skill or that whatever you've learned and, and bring it back. Well, that's good parenting. The asset to the company. So. Yeah, your mother and Kathy and John McNeil made some good choices there. And actually, not sure. exactly full circle, but I know your daughter yeah. is a junior, should be a junior this upcoming fall in college and is making the decision to perhaps defer for a semester. <clears throat> well, she's going to go part-time. She's going to take a couple Zoom classes. In okay. The, and But she is coming to work at the digital media lab we have, so... Would you hold your children to the same um, probably. principle? Yeah. Get probably. out there and explore sure. a little bit and make sure. Yeah. I mean, this is just an internship type thing for her. So it's, uh, yeah, I think she, you know, would want to do that anyway. Really. Okay. I mean, kids, kids these days are not so much into, you know, what their parents do. So uh, I think she's looking forward to cutting her own. Or, or if anything, doing the complete opposite, you know, going in a completely different direction, I think, yeah. so, sometimes. So you came back here. What year was that? Sorry, I should have had you bring a cheat sheet today. I think that was around 99. Okay. Do you want to talk a little about the role at the company? or uh, I had a few Pretty roles, close wrapping this up. basically. Um, I started off in the product development group, and at the time we were, you know, producing everything from greeting cards to welcome mats. (laughs) Literally, uh, we would do Dilbert welcome mats and lots of stationary items, mugs, you know, far side mugs. My favorite were the calendars. My father used to give me one every single year, you know, the That was another division. I wasn't even into calendars yet. Okay. So we were doing mostly stationary kits and journals and greeting cards and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Okay. We've since cut back on a lot of those products. Does far kept the greeting cards? Yeah, as far as your role there, was there something you were trying to tie in? Again, going back to Fox or things like that, or were you just finding a new niche? You know, it was, where they needed you. Uh, it 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 was working with creative people. Try, it, you know, it was a lot of trend driven stuff. So I'd have to go out and search new licenses or creators mm-hmm. to. Um, the champion in-house and sell it, you know, uh, through our acquisitions meetings and, and you know, do the deals, um, deal-making with whoever the, the rights holders were, um, and then following it through and making sure that, you know, product lines were developed and 
they were released on time and um you know and then you'd go to the licensing show or other gift shows around the country and so there's it was a lot of work involved but it was fun definitely center cut has a skill set from you jim and the fact that you've handled those situations especially understanding the agreements yeah. licensing pursuing it following up that's something i have n- not at all in my wheelhouse and i right. don't really want to one last thing you click you tell me about that that was like uh like you the- click was Gosh, that was kind of the heart of the internet. It was right at the start, right? Really? To me, again, in Kazakhstan, the internet didn't exist until about 95 as I was getting out. I clearly remember, you know, trying to dial it up. I I don't think we spun that company off until 2004, something like that. Okay. Um, Five, maybe. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it was was our internet play, so to speak, and tried to, uh, you know... We uh, hired a bunch of people and um, had a pretty good burn rate. <laughs> I bet. Um, and then when the bubble came along, and then we had to spin it back into the company, and it was—I wouldn't say it was a failure. I think that uh, we were just maybe a couple of years late to the party. Understood. Um, Understood. I'm, I'm kind of bringing it up too because our website developer. Matt yeah. Mickelin. Yeah, Matt, Matt used to work for me at, mm-hmm. at, uh, mm-hmm. at Euclid, So he, He's been a great asset for Center Cut. We couldn't be doing what we're doing without him. Definitely. Welcome back to the second segment of our podcast here with Jim Andrews. I'm Patrick Spray. I don't even know if I introduced myself on the first round. Not a very good host. Probably want to plug that in later, Mr. Mowry. We are here again with our producer, Chris Mowry, recording our very first episode of Center Cuts, the first podcast from Center Cut Records. And our first guest today is my business partner, Jim Andrews. We talked a little bit about Jim's life, about his family, about his school life, how we got into trouble together as young ones little bit about the business that he's been in most of his life and now we're going to shift to the second part of our program to talk a little bit about what he's currently doing what we're currently doing with center cut kind of how that all got started yeah as what you may have to speak louder and maybe wake people up at this point i think think we sufficiently have put them to sleep grab your grab your caffeine everyone get uh, whatever you need to wake up do some push-ups knock out a couple sets of those we also want to talk about in every episode what are some things our guests feels are strong points great things about kansas city they do not have to be music related as well as what are some areas of need for our city specifically for the music industry so welcome back jim appreciate your thoughts i'm sure that was a little challenging for you Mm -hmm. um 
let's talk a little about Center Cut. So what in the heck happened? How did we go from you owning, running a publishing company to deciding to start a record label? Well, as I alluded to earlier, we uh, were turning 50 and seen uh, the sort of expiration date <laughs> pass before <laughs> our eyes. And uh, I think at that point, you know, I'd always wanted to get into music and I always knew that I wanted you to do it with me because you're just a living uh, encyclopedia. No, speak uh, for yourself. Of knowledge. So I knew it was... It was it was an easy uh, uh, hire to, to bring you aboard with me on this journey. But, um, yeah, I just always felt like I wanted to get into music. And, uh, and more than that, Kansas City. You know, we had been looking around Kansas City, you know, this is five, seven years ago, and really starting to see a groundswell of... Uh, new acts, of new venues, of new festivals, of a lot of new things happening. In Absolutely. Town, which is, and we're seeing a lot of great musicians, too. And, you know, just the idea of trying to take some of those and expose them to, you know, the nation and the world. Which is really uh, what you've been doing. Right. With the Andrew McMeal, for sure. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of comparisons to what I've been doing at AMP. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm thinking this was probably spring of 2017 when you first started putting a bug in my ear one yeah. late evening on your patio, I believe, about would you ever want to do something different? Right. And like Jim, I, I've been a teacher my whole life. I love teaching. I love all that grammar. I love writing. I love adolescents. I love teenagers. So it wasn't like, oh, I, I hate my job. But I, I seem to remember that you started to spend a little bit of more time at a particular record store. Yes. And um, that's, I think, how things got kicked off. Do you want to elaborate on that? Um, well, I would say, you know, absolutely. You know, at, at that time, I think we started to, to branch out and do a little research, um, mm -hmm. both of us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Mary and Merritt, uh, Records with Merritt, would spend a lot of time talking with her. Mm -hmm. She has a lot of knowledge um, about local musicians, for one, and um, and but also the business and and how she, you know, works her record store and how she orders records and and all of that. So Mar it was it was a very uh, easy place for me to go and get an answer. Marion had come from twenty years, I think, Barnes and Noble. Um, yeah. I believe she had worked. I believe with Ann Stewart, with her partner, business partner. Were they both there together? Uh, I believe Ann was in. Uh, she wasn't in the music department, but she was. I think up in the book area. So kind of like or us. managers. I think maybe she was even a manager. Obviously, we did not come. I did not. The host did not come prepared with my homework here. Mm. I believe in some ways, you know, they did what we aspired to do, which was to make a change. Yeah. while they had the opportunity right and i bet that was probably in the back of your head well you know we see marion and ann having a successful record store here and yeah and she really took me under her wing and, and mm -hmm. you know we had many lunches and she's been very influential as you know in the start of this label and you know who we should really uh, go after and who we should look at right for you know 
Right. All these reasons. So, I remember going into the store a couple of times when you were supposed to meet me, and <clears throat> I spent my time browsing alone and then got to know Anna Mary just a little bit. I clearly remember a day in the spring of 2017. It would have been when my eighth graders were traveling in New Orleans. So it was probably like late May, and you got you sent me a text or something like, I had a flip phone at that point, <laughs> so I'm not sure if I could receive a text. Uh, somehow you got a hold of me at school and said, hey, I want you to come meet someone that Marion thinks we should meet. And that was Brenton Cook. Yeah. We went down to uh, Port Fonda. Was that our first yeah, meeting? Yeah, that was. And Brenton Cook, if you don't know, everybody uh, owns and runs Haymaker Records. He is very involved in the music scene here in Kansas City, works with the Midwest Music Foundation, um, really gave us a ton of early guidance, everything from who should we have manufacture our CDs to, I mean, we could go on and on. Yeah. He was super influential and continues to be until this day. In fact, he tried to talk us out of the business, I believe. (laughs) Most people do. (laughs) Most people really still do, Jim. I think that was uh, the, if I remember correctly, the, (laughs) the main thing that came out of that dinner that night was, what the hell are you guys doing? Right, right. I want to hear more, but actually you're nuts. Yeah. Um, and we were we were actually interested in an artist that was working with Haymaker, Schwervon, uh, Nan Turner and Matt Roth, that we were even talking about potentially doing a co-producing deal back in the day, in the early that's, days. That's right. Love them. Um, and then Marion had a lunch with for us set up with Mark Manning uh-huh. from KKFI. Another great early influencer on us and I, I should even go a step back so first I met Brenton and then you had me meet you and Marion down at uh, was it the Thai place down in uh, off the city market Columbus Park uh, that was like it's not it's Vietnam Cafe oh sorry you're right Vietnam Cafe yeah. Vietnam Cafe I mean that's important for me because that was really the first time for me to sit down and listen to Marion. I mean, she is just, you talk about an encyclopedic. She puts everybody in this room. It's yeah. embarrassing. Yeah, she's, um, she's impressive. And, and she was definitely, we were actively asking her, you know, who do you think we might want to approach? And we both went to plenty of shows. Yeah. I probably went to about 100 shows a year at that point, but a lot of national acts. Certainly was aware of a lot of artists in Kansas City, but right. that was really the first time I heard the name Calvin Arsenia. Yeah. At that and- lunch. Mine as well, and uh, she had mentioned it to me before that that lunch because mm-hmm. I had flat out asked her who would you go after, and then I think she told us she we said need without without a pause or a beat. She said Calvin Arsenia for sure. Oh, absolutely, and then I think she told us we need to meet again, and now we need to meet with Mark, and then we met Mark at Ape, which is no longer in yeah. existence. Mark again has been so unbelievably helpful to us and he is such an advocate for not only the music community the arts community just human beings in general um he certainly told us about calvin we heard a couple of their names repeatedly that we yeah have been pursuing or pursued then i'm trying to think do we have one we marion introduced us to steve tulipana at the record bar. And mm-hmm. again, that was the time season to risk really started rocking as I moved out of Kansas city in 93. So I, I knew a lot of the groups around that time, like Paul, um, we've talked about sin city disciples a little bit earlier today with another artist. Uh, but didn't, I wasn't here for that. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve welcomed us. We met with 
him and Don Simon. Right. Trying to get a feel for like how do we structure agreements. At that time, they were working on a record label, and actually Steve has carried that out. I think with two singles now. Yeah. Victor and Penny and Emily and Twist, both outstanding. If you haven't picked those up, everybody eat here now records. Uh, and I think you know from those first, I was like all in a month, I was like in a month and a yeah. half. It seems like yeah. it was so obvious to us how involved everybody here was how passionate everybody here was how yeah, we, committed everybody here was we tapped into the right nerves i think to, well, to get us started i mean for for sure yeah it was a whirlwind so I, at that i remember at the lunch with mark he said yeah you should go check out calvin he's doing something at this old church this weekend and if you can make it i mean this was like on a thursday i think the show was a sunday yeah paragons Exactly. And so, well, and now we know it was Peregrine Honix, a fantastic artist here in Kansas City who's been also unbelievably supportive of the label and so many other artists here in Kansas City. Uh, she had a, I think it was her first performance at Greenwood, but probably darn near. It was Calvin's first, I think, live solo performance there. And I was able to go, and I'll save that story for another day, but needless to say, he just absolutely blew me away. I mean, First of all, the setting was great. It's a, it's an old church. Everybody took their shoes off. There were roses strewn across the floor, and here's this young man, yeah. fairly substantial young man, with his back to me playing a harp, and singing like an angel. Like what the heck is this? Um, it was a defining moment. I. I bought a couple CDs that night after mm-hmm. talking to Calvin and let him know that we were thinking about starting a record label. <clears throat> and I got a copy to Jim. You want to tell that? I think we've told this before, but I gave <laughs> well, him a CD. It, it is uh, kind of funny. I, did, I, I put the CD in my car on the way to work, and I literally drove off the road <laughs> about the third song in, I think it was, or whatever. Uh-huh. And uh, as I regain consciousness <laughs> sitting in somebody's front yard i was just like holy crap my, this is it and if i had kept my flip phone i could find that old text where you asked me how how it was and i, I believe i just responded the chosen one yes and he, it, he was the chosen one for sure so that led to us trying to figure out how in the sam hill to write a contract Yep. Uh, an agreement. We reached out to an old friend of mine from college who's... It only took us about six, eight months. But yeah. Well, we got actually... A couple iterations. We, we <laughs> whipped that first contract together pretty quickly. We reached out to an old friend of mine at Epitaph Records in uh, L.A. who coached us a little bit, not only on how to write an agreement properly, because uh, we wanted to keep it fairly simple, but also just, you know, how to support an artist. Like, what should you what should you do as far as, like, PR allocation? What should you do as far as, you know, considerations for distribution? We tried, to, we tried to make it happen with Calvin. We had another meeting, and uh, I've said it often. Fortunately, he did not accept. He was getting ready to take off on about a three-month tour, excursion, experience in Europe. Right. Came back that fall. We continued to court him fall of 2017, and then February 2nd, yeah. 2018. He finally agreed. We finally reached an agreement. Um Jim had been working on a potential another project with another Kansas, native Kansan artist. Um, and through that relationship that didn't pan out, and unfortunately Lane Tijin has recently passed away, yeah. um, amazing artist as well. 
Jim was able to meet Tony Braunagel, who eventually became our producer, who... Yeah, and, and another mentor to us. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Let's give a little quick recap of that story, because that could be a whole podcast. I, it certainly could. Um, Tony is just a remarkable um, asset to us. He's he's a professional drummer uh, at, at his core. Um, he's played with Eric Burden. He's played with Robert Cray. He's played with Bonnie Raitt. Uh, and he's produced a lot of... Uh, a lot of music in the last 15, 20 years. Um, and he's won, I believe he's won a Grammy. I know mm-hmm. he's been nominated a number of times uh, on different projects, uh, the last being Danielle Nicole. Absolutely, Daniel, Daniel Just Nicole's. last year, mm-hmm. who is a Kansas City artist. Um, and we knew nothing about that relationship on our way out there, I don't think. No, we certainly didn't. And um, so we got to know Tony uh, over the, in the last three years, and mm-hmm. we recorded Calvin's art, um, album, L.A. Sessions. Actually, he, an EP that we did out. out yeah, there. so basically we, we came to an agreement with Calvin beginning of February, and within six weeks we were in Los Angeles recording what became L.A. Sessions. Tony assembled yeah. an unbelievable all-star band, uh, Mike Finnegan, legendary, another Kansan. Hammond B3 player, as well as a vocalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, Freddie Washington, who we just featured, uh, a, we just put up on our YouTube page today a video of, currently playing bass for Steely Dan. And the guy wrote the bass line for Forget Me Nots with Patrice Russian. Yeah. Uh, Paul Brown. Which probably, I now have in my head. Oh my God. <laughs> Will, you all know that from Will Smith, if you don't know the original Patrice. D, D, Forget Me yeah. Not. Oh, you didn't have to do that. But I did. Now I, really I had to. It. See, there was our musical <laughs> interlude. Uh, we had Paul Brown, probably 20, you know, top smooth jazz hits. Uh, Johnny Lee Shell, the engineer. Amazing guitarist in his own right for Bonnie Raitt. Unbelievable yeah. studio out there. David Garfield. David Garfield playing with George Benson right now. Amazing pianist. Uh, it was, it was amazing for Jim yeah. and me to be in the room with these musicians and for it's that what, matter, it's, it's really what we needed at the time because we we wanted to be immersed in that mm-hmm. part of it, right? Um, and we were, by God, it and, was. And for Calvin, I believe his recording experience up to that point was he would lay down some tracks in a studio, go home and play with them a little bit, have someone come in and add an instrument. I mean, Calvin can play a ton of instruments on his own, especially stringed. In this situation, I believe that was his first real experience recording live. Yeah, he was not layering things on there. I mean, really no overdubs, no punch-ins. He just just rocked it in short. So. We, we recorded that record. We have other stories from that weekend. We're very proud <laughs> yeah. of that record. And when we came back to Kansas City, Calvin expressed a desire to record with Kansas City artists, which, of course, we're all for, and to produce something that was maybe a little bit more along his natural stylistic leanings. And we said, great, go right ahead. Let's do that. And that's what eventually became Cantaloupe. Calvin worked with Jay Ashley Miller, an unbelievably talented musician. He's got 15 different projects of his own. Who produced Fritz, a record? Fritz was on that album. Fritz Hutchison, uh, another one of our artists, played guitar in a couple tracks. Simon Huntley, really the backbone of that album, along with Ashley, though, as far as production and percussion. I mean, those two are really in tune with each other. Yeah. And it was like Calvin took a leap of faith to follow us out to L.A. Jim and I said, Calvin go do what you want to do and we'll trust it's going to be a dynamite record yeah. which it is yeah again this is all happening within months so we get back july that album's recorded 
We released it September of 2018. We had a huge performance down at the gym. Calvin assembled 20 musicians roughly on stage, yeah. string sections in the aisles, uh, tango dancers, men sawing logs. Yeah. The Really the goal was to bring people to 18th and Vine area to, to shine a spotlight on a district that, although it does have some attention, certainly needs to have more attention brought to it. And that was a personal thing for me too, working yeah. with my students down at the Jazz Museum and Mutual Musicians Foundation. We rolled that out. Fall. Looking back, I think that was a very historical show, actually. And definitely, a lot of people still talk about that show. Um, it was magnificent. I mean, it was <laughs> two hours. I mean, at the end of the show, Calvin led the entire audience out of the theater, down the street to the Mutual Musicians mm-hmm. building, mm-hmm. and and then basically continued to play. There's there's some footage of that you can find on Calvin's website. It's on our on our YouTube page. But um, the second line marching people out and in the streets, it, it it just captures pure joy. I mean, yeah. people were so unbelievably happy, and it was a lot of work. Yeah, trust me, that young man has a work ethic, and he had an unbelievable team that night. Well, so, he had thirty musicians on the stage. It seemed like oh, it was unreal. I mean, unreal. So we continued to promote that record. Calvin really got out on the road. Uh, in earnest last spring, so we're talking spring 2019. During this whole time, we're looking at other artists. We should say that one of the goals of Center Cut is to, first of all, represent Kansas City musicians. Mm-hmm. That sounds kind of crazy, but we're sticking with our city. Another goal is to represent artists across all genres. Mm-hmm. So if it's country, if it's punk, if it's hip hop, if it's speed metal, if it's excellent, and I think, Jim, this goes back to your business. Yeah. You know, you want the cream of the crop. Right. It doesn't matter, you know, what the what the what it what the genre is. I mean, honestly, it's it's just going after the best of the best. And and we discussed it earlier today again with another artist that we we want to be we want to be open to not only all genres, but as far as the artists themselves. It it can be old, it can be young, it can be male, it can be female. We're not interested Persons, religion, sexuality, gender, as long as the music yeah. is excellent, we're very interested. It has nothing to do with any of that. You no. Know, it's uh, clearly just talent and, you know. And we feel like we confidence. started with Calvin where we needed to start. Um, we were exposed to Fritz Hutchison. The young man's played in, I don't even know, a dozen groups around Kansas City. I knew him as a drummer with She's a Keeper. Right. Um, we found out that he had done some recordings with Joel Nanos at Element Studios, also with Ross Brown mm-hmm. a little bit. And um, these were just some things that he had to himself. And Jim and I had a couple of listens. We're like, this is gold. Yeah. This, this, needs, this needs to be brought to a bigger audience. Right. And so, like with Calvin, it's a fairly long process between talking about wanting to work with someone to actually coming to an agreement mm-hmm. to making sure the music gets recorded, mastered the correct way to art design, all these things, marketing, PR. And, and we felt like at least for the first year, year and a half, two years, we really just wanted to focus on Calvin. And in some ways that's a little dangerous. Jim said it, you put your eggs in one basket, but we also wanted to be available anytime for a phone call, email. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were ready to take the plunge with Fritz Mm-hmm. We released that just this past March 27th, his first solo record, Wide Wild Acres. Yeah, 
I wouldn't say it was great timing, but... <laughs> no, and, you know, it goes back to your point, though, Jim. I mean, we're not getting any younger. Yeah. So we... Right we, around the start of the pandemic. Yes, and, ba- and basically we already... Up. Yeah, we already had plans with a couple different PR firms, a college radio campaign, which we've done with Calvin's Records too, um, with our dis- distributors. We had a lot, and we had a lot of gigs lined up for the young man. Yeah, and we man. had all sorts of things happening here in Kansas City and in the states. The boat was going to sail, so. and and we're very confident with where that record's headed. He he got a lot of good love on college radio, mm-hmm. and our our plan really is and was, to, or sorry, was and is to get him into some of those markets when it's safe, yeah. not only for Fritz, but for the students or for the, the audiences there. Right. We just recently, that was April 1st, I believe, came to agreement with the Black Creatures. Uh-huh. Again, completely different than Fritz, completely different than Calvin. Sure. Um, although I will say, all of them, I think what we're starting to find is our excellent lyricists. We're, we're, maybe that's Jim and I are both into English, the English yeah. language. Um, they also have vocalists who are outstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, though. But I, I think you're right. I think you hit on something. Uh, the lyrics, you know, obviously Calvin has lyrics that are unbelievable. Fritz, Fritz's lyrics blew me away. I mean, that was really the mm-hmm. sort of uh, the cherry on the top for me. It was like, oh, my God. Yeah. It, it's a joy for me. That's one of my roles is to edit, edit, edit people's yeah. lyrics as we look through them. Not to say that any of our artists have poor grammar like that. but No, and, and to finish off, Black Creatures as well. Oh. I mean, you look at their lyrics, and I mean, they're talking about, you know, obviously we we all know about the Black Lives Movement and all of that mm-hmm. that's happened. I mean, they wrote these songs a long time ago. They've been talking about this, you know, social justice for sure years. Sure. And, you know... So their lyrics are are just outstanding. Um, what I what I see, and I, they make you think. You know, and I I think that's a good thing. I totally agree. And I, what I see too is, you know, although there are definitely some serious topics related on all their albums, a lot of loss. I see a lot of relationships. There's also a lot of um, light, yeah. lightness, and humor yeah. and wit. Yeah. And I think that's a very good balance for a, a songwriter. In addition, uh, they all really could go in multiple directions. And that's been a bit of a challenging situation for us as far as marketing, because you know Spotify wants to put you in a box yeah. and the record store even wants to put you in a category, whereas we feel <clears throat> Calvin, Fritz, Jaden, Xavier, I mean, they really each could go in three, four, five well, different I mean, directions. As, especially Calvin, and we've seen that uh, time after time, he, even with this new song he just released, Glory Box, I mean, that... that mm-hmm that is something out of left field right uh, right and and he does it really well I mean, right <laughs> doesn't miss a beat Myself. 
with these two hands I can feel my heart beat loudly Oh, I miss you myself with my heart Now you see me the other two things we wanted to talk about in the first one is what are some things we think Kansas City's doing right? I think we've pretty much already touched on it. And then what are what's what's basically one of our goals? Not exactly a need, but something we want. And I would say, based off our conversation here, I believe, and I know you feel the same way, Jim, is that what Kansas City's doing right is it is a great community for artists and the support for each other and the respect for each other, the collaboration amongst yeah. artists was something that we've been very excited about where you've got all sorts of cross pollination where right. you would think this one artist who normally plays, I'm just making this up blues, mm-hmm. they fit very well into an EDM group. You know, and we, we've harped on this for a long time, but, um, and we've talked to our artists and we've talked to other artists out of town that have said, you know, that doesn't really happen in my town. Mm-hmm. And, Time, countless times. But it it happens here, and I I don't know what's in the water, or if it's a midwestern thing or what. But yeah, the collaboration and support of each other here is outstanding. And I just wonder sometimes if that's because we aren't such a huge city population wise, but on the other hand, we are very spread out as far as like suburbs being compared mm-hmm. to you know like the downtown entertainment areas. I just wonder if there. There are probably our politics here, just like in any other city, but it just seems like everyone is so supportive of each other because everybody knows each other. Yeah. And so it's not a big, big town. So. You, it's in your best interest to support people, not blindly. I'm not suggesting that, mm-hmm. uh, but to try to do what you can do to build other people up. Yeah. I think that really leads to our the last point of the conversation is you know, going back to our goal what is it that we want for Kansas City or what is it that we're trying to support or what is it that we're trying to provide or do? I think um, other than building a sustainable business, <laughs> mm. um, that's I, a good one. I think that we're looking to support this community, mm-hmm. um, this music community and uh, and try and expose some folks and because they deserve to be heard. Mm-hmm. They, they are that good. One, one thing we were talking with Chris about is, again, in our early conversations is, you know, quite often artists feel like they have to move to a bigger market, whether it's Los yeah. Angeles, Paris. Or Paris. And I get it, Jim, we've, we've yeah. both lived in bigger cities. I lived in Tokyo. You know, sure. it's great. I would go do it too. I encourage all of you, get out of Kansas City for a little while. But how do we keep these artists here, right. nurture those artists here, support those artists here, whether it's finding affordable housing for them, whether it's guaranteeing them a decent wage for playing a performance so that sure. they can sustain. And I don't think that that money necessarily needs to come for a venue, from a venue, for example. The city yeah. has a role in that. Sure. You know, if, if, they, if they want Kansas City to have you know, a vibrant downtown area that really was built by artists, Crossroads District, you can't just keep pushing people out. you got to find ways to nurture them. And there are a lot of great organizations here. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about the foundation already. Um, Heartland Song Network is doing some great things early on here. Um, yeah. uh, KC Artists. Uh, oh, my God. Artist KC, uh, talking to um, Enrique and Diego for Making Movies. They were doing their artist mentorship programming. There are a lot of pieces here. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things we really, are, one of our goals for this year was to help connect some of these dots mm-hmm. and strengthen some of those relationships. 
Um, and I think we're going to do that through this podcast series and bringing on guests that are from Kansas City, that are venue owners, that are PR people, that are record store owners, that are, you know, maybe uh, radio station hosts, what have you, and and talking about Kansas City musicians and, and what we can do to, you know, make this a better financial livable place for that. I'm so glad you mentioned that, Jim, too, because really we, we would like to let you know and bear with, thanks for bearing with us in this first program. That really is our ultimate goal of this podcast is to bring in members of the industry, whether they're from venues, recording studios, engineers. Let's talk about um, um, copyright law. How, yeah. how do people protect their rights? How do people sure. make sure that they have their publishing rights? Because we, we don't get any money from that as far as the business. Yeah. How do we make, how do we help artists find out about things like sync opportunities? We've got, we're right. working with Bob Pulliam here from KC Pubco, who's also been unbelievably helpful helping us understand that. Yeah, um, and that can be a huge revenue stream. To, how, how to help artists with taxes. You know, I, I see some of that with um, something that Nick Carswell from Carswell and Hope and Pink Royal has done with uh, the Mixmaster Conference that's sort of an extension of the Crossroads Music Fest, which is another great event. But yeah, offering these resources to artists here in Kansas City where we can have conversations openly about here's what's great and here's something that we need to work on. And in some ways, maybe this pandemic could be a good thing for us that allows some people to take some time to spend on some of these topics. Mm. Um, I think about, again, the... KC Bands Together that Chris Agarian put together. Of course, The Bridge has been super involved with that. Mm. Midwest Music Foundation. I mean, that was a special couple of nights. Yeah, it really was. Um, um, David George and his song bringing together, like, geez, I don't even know, 40 artists. I mean, you're seeing people really try to make those connections during this time. So Yeah, make the best of a bad situation, really. Exactly. Jim Andrews, I really appreciate you not only uh, being here today as our very first guest, and I'm sure we're going to have some speed bumps with these things, but having the vision and the passion to not only start this business as well, but to stick with it during this challenging time. Uh, we we want to continue to plow forward, mm-hmm. but it's, it's it really is a continued leap of faith from you. Sure. And um, I hope that we were able to capture a little bit of your story today a little bit of what we're trying to do as a label and uh, hopefully we'll be able to do many more podcasts here with Mr. Mowry. So thank you all for tuning in and any last words? No, I think that's it. Everybody stay safe. Okay. Just, just for the record, we kept masks on the whole time. Sure. We're sounding funny here. We're all sweating. Uh, Probably (laughs) go run and strip our shirts off outside. I may may sound a little (laughs) muffled, but all right, Casey, stay safe. Stay strong and uh, looking forward to talking to you again here real soon. Peace out.